You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. He has shown strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three men, three months, and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you, something has come out of your mouth, you have said it, and you thought, I can't believe that I had to say this. Um, I, I did that a little bit, and then I became a parent, and it feels like I've had to do that more frequently, let's just say. Here's some that have been highlights for me that I've, when I've had to go, I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, I don't think they're here this hour, so this will be better. Um, <clears throat> I, let's see, I've actually had to say the words, it's been a week or so, so yes, you probably should go shower. When I told my kids to pick out a nice healthy meal for themselves, I've actually had to say, a donut is not a vegetable. Uh, Don't lick your sister's foot is another one that I've had to say multiple times for some reason. And then this is one as a dog owner that I've had to say, which is stop eating dead birds. I've had to say this to my dog multiple times. Like when he was a puppy, I sort of understood, but he would go right over here was his, his first catch where um, there's a, a bird and he, and you know, I'm not really paying too much attention and he darts for it, kind of pulls off some of the feathers, starts choking on the feathers and spits it. And I'm like, what are you, I'm, stop eating dead bird. I'm, you know, pulling him back. And he kind of looks at me after like, coughing and coughing and coughing and sort of catching his breath and everything again. And then, you know, dog's memories, like half a second later, he's like, oh, bird corpse, and like dives back over to the same one again and starts choking again. I'm pulling him back. I can't believe I've had to say these things. And there's more than that. And uh, many of you, especially if your parents may have times, or maybe if you're a, a leader, you've had like an employee, you've had to tell something and gone, I can't believe that this needs to be said. Here's one that I never thought I would have to say as a pastor. You ready? Mary was not a communist. Mary was not a communist. Allow me to explain. I um, have an interesting browser history right now because I was looking at the website for the Communist Party of the USA. The reason I was is because I had a hunch about something and my hunch was proven correct. There was um, somebody on their website, there's a document they have, and then there was also a talk that somebody gave, um, and he said this. He said, Christians, above all, should be avid supporters of communism. I did not know that. And um, I, was, I was intrigued, but I actually, honestly, I kind of called it. Like, I sort of figured that there's some passages in here that if you want to read into it a certain way, that you could make a statement 
like that. And he referenced a couple things. One he referenced um, was Luke 6, which we'll get to, the Beatitudes. Jesus lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, and he gives, blessed are the blessed are the blessed are the blessed are the four of those. And then he does, woe to the, woe to the, woe to the, woe to the. He does four of those. Listen to the blesseds. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you, excuse me, when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name. And then he says, the woe to, woe to the rich. Woe to you who are full now, you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. And he's giving this message. This one's in a document as well, Luke chapter six. And then he also quotes Mary to bolster his point. And he quotes the passage that you just heard Al read. Let me show you where they got this. Okay, and, but my point is not really to talk about the Communist Party of the USA. The real reason to talk about this is because there's thinking in, um, in how they say that and how they approach the Bible, and there's a cultural narrative that they are um, trying to sell, and I'd say it is sold in our nation, not communism, but something else. It is sold in our nation, and it can infiltrate Christian thinking. And then I'll clarify what Mary actually was saying, and then we'll talk about why this thing from 2,000 years ago actually matters for us today. So if you back up to 46, uh, Mary said, this is the Magnificat. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. She's learned that she's gonna bear the Christ child. She's learning about Elizabeth and they, she sees her cousin and, or her, excuse me, her relative Elizabeth and um, she's pregnant as well. And so this is, she's emoting and expressing herself. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And here's the key part for today. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Here's what he just, uh, or, sorry, he is Luke, she is Mary. I'm sure I'll bob back and forth. Here's what Luke is saying. Here's what Mary is saying in the Magnificat, what she just said. She has talked about three groups of people. She said, um, the proud, the prosperous, and the powerful. Now, really, probably proud is a blanket statement because um, that, that would encompass those who are powerful and those who are rich and wealthy in her, uh, in her day. And actually, she's looking back in history as well. And so what really is Mary saying here? And what, how can this, this guy from the Communist Party USA, how can he read those things into the text? And really what happens, this is really, really important to understand when you read the Bible. As, as strong-willed or as strong-minded or as educated or as Bible-savvy as you might be, there are cultural narratives that will try to influence the way you understand the truth of God. There are assumptions that you can bring to the table as you start reading this. And so, um, well, we'll get there in just a minute. Let me, give you, let me give you a cultural filter. I need to expose this this morning and show you how it's happening. Um, if I were to tell you that somebody is very wealthy, what is your opinion of that person? Are they honorable or are they dishonorable? And the answer should be, I don't have enough information, right? Because if somebody is wealthy, it'd be the same thing if I said if somebody's poor, are they honorable or dishonorable? You'd have to go, I don't have enough information to, to say, because really your, your, um, your income or the money that you have is really a neutral value if you think about it. Because you can have somebody who is wealthy who um, robbed a bank, 
You could have somebody who's wealthy who's been horribly unethical, um, doesn't pay employees right and, and has you know, taken every shortcut and everything and they've become very wealthy. They're very stingerly, miserly, whatever it is. And now, um, now if you knew that, you'd go, well, that ain't good. Or you could have somebody with the exact same size bank account and um, they have um, you know, pulled themselves up by their own bootstrap. They've got bootstraps, they've gotten an education, they have worked hard, they have been ethical, they have been generous and now they have wealth. And you go, well, that's not bad. They, they did well. Like uh, Some of those qualities are things to be admired and they're giving and they're generous. Those things are to be admired. If you were to ask about wealth, it should be neutral. But have you seen what's happening in our culture today? Some of you may think that that's not me, Jim. I don't understand. Let me, let me just tell you. It is being, through no fault of their own, being preached like crazy, especially to a younger generation. And so if you want to connect with your kids, your grandkids, your, um, if you have employees that are young, if you just want to impact young people for Christ, you need to know the narrative that they are hearing about, uh, about wealth. All right, I'm going to try to do this as succinctly as I can, but hopefully make a compelling case for it. Some of you don't need to be convinced. Um, that You have these, uh, you know, 60s, 70s protests and things were about corruption. Some was about corruption and power and wealth and things like that. And then it really started ramping up again late 80s. Uh, by my read anyway, um, late 80s when we started seeing politicians, the cultural narrative, if you recall, was all these politicians have business interests in the Middle East. And so, you know, Gulf War hit in the early 90s. And so um, there was this, these people that are leading can't possibly um, uh, be, be removed from this. They have vested interests. And so there was this money and power and this corruption. And it really started like that, uh, kind of rebooted again in that sort of late 80s, early 90s and laid a little bit dormant. And now it is spiking again. And what is spiking is this, is being wealthy or being powerful is no longer neutral. It's negative. And being powerless or being poor or both is no longer neutral. It's uh, it's not positive that you are, but those are good people, and we should do anything in the world for them and forget these people. That's the narrative. Let me give you a couple examples. There's two movies in particular that hit right in the early 90s, and there are two movies that um, you root for thieves. You root for thieves. Can you put that up? There should be, here we go, Aladdin, and then this is Kevin Costner doing Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Robin Hood, there's a bunch of old stories about Robin Hood. They're very, very different from the modern movies and modern tellings of Robin Hood. Have you ever thought about Aladdin for just a minute? Watch that one with a young child, and sometimes there'll be a bit of a disconnect. Here's why there's a disconnect. You realize, first of all, in Aladdin, if you've seen it, it's a guy who is a thief, spends the entire movie lying to and deceiving his bride-to-be, and then at the very end goes, Jeannie, you're free, and they go, yay, you're sultan, and that's the end of the movie. Like, that's the hero in the movie. Why is it that we would root for Aladdin out in the streets taking from people? Why would we root for Robin Hood that's going and taking from the rich and giving to the poor? Well, anytime you, just basic, basic movie and storytelling is you have the good guy, bad guy. You've got the protagonist and actors will say, who is this person and what does he want? That's the key. And then the bad guy, there has to be something that's not redemptive about him at all. Something that you don't like. There has to be something so he is evil or vile or you're, you can root against him. In these movies, this is in the 90s, and if you watch with a young child especially, watch Aladdin, and it starts out with him being a thief 
and you know he's the hero. They don't get to the fact that there's some corruption happening to those people with money. It's not that it's ill-gotten gain. You don't know that yet. It's just gain. It's just those are wealthy. Those are powerful people. And so you find yourself rooting for the thief. Robin Hood is a really fascinating one because there's a lot of old books about Robin Hood. I've read a couple of them. I love the stories. When it started getting to this, uh, this phase right here, this is 90, uh, let's see, 91 when this movie was made. Um, they didn't spend as much time, they did a little bit, they didn't spend as much time trying to show the corruption that happened. They just, they said they're wealthy. And then, uh, so in the movie, the, in other words, the reason in this Robin Hood, the reason you don't like it or the reason you justify going, it's okay to steal from the people wasn't because they were rich and they were bad. It starts out pretty quickly just saying they're wealthy. And then there's two more, there's two more Robin Hoods that are more recent. And if you watch those, they don't take any time to explain how corrupt the powers are. All it is is they have money. And then you realize you're rooting for a guy that is going and stealing from people. That, that's what he's doing. He's going to the rich, but rich are bad now. And he's giving to the poor and all poor are good now. And if you start reading all like the old Robin Hood books, they start, they really build up the corruption that is happening because they know in that day and age, you had to have both. You couldn't just say they're wealthy and they're taking. They had to be wealthy and they had to be unethical. In fact, I'll prove it to you. 1973 Disney version of Robin Hood. This is the movie I think they're playing on a loop in heaven, so you should probably just go and watch it and start to love it, all right? If you watch this movie, and then Prince John is this uh, lion, and he, he's the bad guy, and he literally has Sir Hiss, the snake, with him. Very, very early on in the movie, there's a, there's a thing at the beginning where a rooster's playing. I know the movie way too well. He's playing his little guitar, and he's singing a song about what's happening and the corruption. And then, very early on, before any of the robbing starts happen, happening, it has, that's, I think that's from the scene, actually. It's, um, it's Prince John sitting in, the, um, sitting in his royal carriage, and he's just got piles of money. And you go, okay, he's this big, wealthy guy. And then he has to start out, and he has to say something. And he says... Rob from the poor to feed the rich, I always say. And they spend more time in 19, what is it, 73 in a kid's movie explaining not just they're wealthy, but they're wealthy and they're bad. They're getting these things. They are ill-gotten gains, not just gains. You had to have that back then. Now you start watching movies. And if somebody is in authority, if somebody is wealthy, if somebody is powerful, they don't have to take all the time to convince us how bad they are because culturally we look and, and we can start thinking they're bad. Start watching for that. Elon Musk hosted Saturday Night Live a week ago. When he, he is the richest person, uh, let's see, no, I'm sorry, Jeff Bezos is the richest person. Elon Musk jumped to number two and Bill Gates is number three. But Elon Musk hosted and uh, he's worth, according to Forbes, $177 billion. And um, if you saw the announcement when he was hosting, there were several members of Saturday Night Live on their cast that um, posted that they were against him hosting, essentially. I'll just leave it at that. 
One in particular retweeted a, a, a thing by Bernie Sanders about wealth inequality and things like that. And her followers knew exactly what she was saying. And there were interviews, further interviews with the cast members who said, I don't think he should be hosting. And when they asked why, two of them explicitly said, because he's so wealthy. That was the reason. Now, let me just tell you, Elon Musk, and if you don't, he's the guy that's like, Hey, we should go to space, put it on my credit card. Like the guy's got crazy amounts of money. He is incredibly wealthy. Um, he has said some things that if you're more conservative should make you mad and if you're more liberal, they should make you mad too. Like there, there's other stuff you could do to kind of go at him with. What did they go at him with? He's wealthy. And all over Twitter, all over social media, which is where a lot of the next generation is, he's getting panned because he's wealthy. No mention of Miley Cyrus, who sang, who is 28 years old and worth $160 million. The comments all came from people, as best as I could tell from Forbes estimates, they are multimillionaires themselves, and some of them in their 20s, some of them are in their 30s. One of them was so upset because he was wealthy, she gave the reason, she didn't perform, and she sat out, and they paid her anyway. Okay? Why? And why did all her Twitter followers give her a you go girl? It's because... He's wealthy. One of the most difficult things to watch, this broke my, this really did break my heart. You see all these high profile divorces that happen all the time. And then you saw Jeff Bezos and Mackenzie Scott. And then you see um, Bill and Melinda Gates that got divorced. You should have seen online what people were saying. Serves them right. Oh yeah, you'll be fine. Go cry into your piles of money which Christians, that should grieve us because we know if you're going, well, that didn't work, but good thing I have my money to fall back on because money brings happiness. We should know that that's never gonna be enough. You should have seen what was said about them online. Why? Because they're wealthy, because Bezos is the richest person in the world, still is, by the way, apparently, even after this, and uh, Bill Gates is third. There is a narrative that says wealth is bad, wealthy people are bad, poor people are good. What's the effect of this? There's a bunch of different effects in the culture and we have to be very careful about this. If we're not careful, we will naturally have a disdain for people that have wealth, which wealth is usually defined as more money than we have. If we look and see people that are wealthy, so think, think about like a lot of the policies and things, like think about politics, think about like, um, uh, like immigration, like immigrants, poor, minimum wage, we should have good conversations about these and instead, oh, you gotta jump on the side because they're the bad guys and they're the good guys. So big, important issues we can't even talk about in our culture. The wealthy, being wealthy is a neutral trait. Being poor is a neutral trait. You know, the other effect of it, by the way, is um, we don't really help the poor. We just act like we do. Well, well, I was debating if we were gonna cut the feed. Um, we're not. Let me tell you. Well, you'll see why. You'll see why. Yeah, I think I'm gonna get you too, Matthew. Hang on. I know, I'm gonna tell you here. I'm sorry, I can't broadcast it. I know of three different municipalities in Colorado that have had this conversation with Christian ministries that work with the homeless that have said, essentially, you are actually helping the homeless. We would like to fund you but you can't do the Jesus stuff. And I know of three that have said, sorry. 
And then the government kind of does their thing and then comes back and tries to get creative in ways to do it. And there are at least, I'm sure there's more. I know of three Christian ministries that are receiving government funds to help the homeless and share the gospel of Jesus Christ because they do it better than anybody. Wealth and power If we look and say they are inherently bad, or if we look and see poor people and just inherently assume that everybody is trapped, like there are honorable and dishonorable wealthy people and honorable and dishonorable poor people and everybody in between. And instead of just tagging somebody with with that one thing and saying that defines their morality, their character and who they are, we need to know more than just that. Mary is not talking here about communism. She is not talking when she says, uh, he's shown strength with his arms, scattered the proud, brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. Communism is, if you think Marxism being the seeds of it, communism is the idea there's wealthy, there's poor, and that's a big inequality. And so we should have everything in, in common or communis, where we get the word communism. And so this is saying, so, so what they were arguing was she's saying, bring them down, lift them up. We should knock the proud down and then the humble should be lifted up. The powerful should be knocked down and the powerless should be lifted up. And I see why they would say that, but you've got to really just just butcher this text about Mary's intention of what she's actually saying. If Christ were here, do you think that he would say it's okay to hate wealthy people? No, watch as we walk through the gospel of Luke and he's gonna be saying over and over to have compassion on everyone. This has been helpful for me as I've been thinking about this. I saw another, I, well, this, I went back and replayed this. This is older. Um, I watched, uh, be vague, excuse me. I watched a politician who's been a politician since like Moses, like he's been there for a long time. And he got up and the, and the, the data points in his speech, a Q&A that he was giving were, uh, I'm so sorry that, um, you know, he, he said something about, you know, being one of the longest tenured and he's been fighting for however many years. Then he talked about, and a question came, and he talked about how um, government has been so bad and so unhelpful, and it's been so terrible for America, and it needs to be reformed, and, um, and, and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, good thing. And then later, he said, I'm running for re-election. So think about this. I've been doing this forever. This has been terrible forever. Vote for me. And you know what I used to do? I used to watch that and I used to go, somebody has to follow up question. Like, why should we vote for you? Like, isn't that you? Like when he started going, the government's bad, you should go, whoa, that's you, that, that's you. And if it's still bad, why would we vote for you again? And I gotta tell you, I would get so worked up about this and I have a different approach now. I went back and I watched it again, the, the speech or the Q&A. I really felt sorry for him. I was thinking, I wonder if people, like, I think more people know. I think more people than just me saw that and heard that. I wonder if this guy is going to get to the end of his days and he's going to look back and go, I thought I was a public servant and fighting and my life was worthless and pointless. And I started praying against that for him. It's easier to be angry. I see bumper stickers that say resist. I see hashtags resist. And I used to just think, are you kidding? Like, you know, I'd go to the worst case. Like, all you're doing is just looking. If there's 100 things and the 99 are great, you're going to pick out the one and you're just going to live this total life of negativity and looking for things to oppose. 
And then it changed because uh, there was a car that had that bumper sticker and I walked by and I started getting mad and I thought, I don't know, I don't know who this person is. Maybe, maybe someone just slapped it on as a joke and they haven't seen it. You know, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of anything. And then I watched this one woman walk up to her car and get in it and it was that car. This is at down Denver West. And I looked and you know, sometimes you can just tell stuff about people. I looked and I, she just had this sort of angry and sad demeanor about her. And my heart started to break. So now whenever I see something or any one of those bumper stickers or hashtags or whatever it is that just makes me really mad, I just pause and pray. I pause and pray for that person. It's not easy sometimes. It's easier to be angry. But I don't want the easy route, I want the Christian route. So what is Mary actually saying? This is not her manifesto, this is her Magnificat. Let me show you what she's saying. He has shown strength with his arm. This section of her song is about the strength and the power of Almighty God. And what she's about to do is she's gonna say, she's gonna look back at what God has done and how powerful he is. Look at this. He has shown strength. How has he shown strength? He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart, their hearts. People that have ascended, people that have beat their chest, people that have, have wanted people to bow down and worship them. Where are they now is what Mary's saying. Boy, the Jewish people, they had gone through empire after empire and had just been tossed around. And Mary is saying he has scattered the proud. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. She's saying this isn't supposed to be how the world works. It wouldn't just naturally happen that way. There had to be God that intervened and he had this plan and all these proud people, all these powerful people, all these incredibly wealthy, wealthy, influential people had risen up and tried to do their thing and she's saying God is so strong, he has prevailed. That's what she's saying. Now, so what we need to know today is God is strong. Stronger than any force of evil stronger than anything you can imagine. But for some, when we say God is strong, some of you have been maybe hurt by someone who, that's their only quality. A boss, husband, wife, a friend, a neighbor. God's only attribute is not his strength. Look at what Mary says next. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. That phrase, he has helped, is, um, is uh, it's, it's the word taken hold of. He's talked, she's just talked about the mighty, the powerful, the wealthy, the people on their thrones, and what does God do with Israel? It says that he has taken hold of Israel. He has wrapped his arms around her and protected her. And then it says Israel's what? His servant. Do you know, like we see this and we go, that's nice, they're serving God. One of the reasons I really believe this is here is because you could be horrible to your servants and nobody would hold you accountable for it. What does he do? When everything else is happening, when Israel seems forgotten and it would have been justified in the culture to say, we are your servants, to go, yeah, 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 forget about you. It says God reached down and wrapped his arms around Israel in remembrance of his Mercy. The word is really pity or compassion, which compassion is um, to suffer with, compassio, to suffer with somebody. God looked down, saw their hurt, wrapped his arms around them. He is strong and he is also caring. 
And for us today, we have to realize that God's people must be both strong and tender. We don't get to just pick one. We don't get to just be only strong. I'm saying all the right stuff. I'm standing up here. I'm preaching and I'm yelling. I don't care. I don't care about you. I don't care about your hearts. I don't care about what you're dealing with. I'm just telling the truth and you need to get over it. That'd be strong. It'd be stupid, but it'd be strong. Or tenderness would be, I'm gonna try and be so tender and so careful, we're just gonna dance around any issue that might possibly even upset anybody and I'll even waffle a little bit on some of the things the Bible's clear on. That might be tender, but that's not strong. Christians are both strong and tender. And so one thing to think about is just where, where are you? Do, you? do you do those both well? Are you strong in your convictions, but are you tender with the people that you interact with? Are you way over here? Oh, I'm kind of that strong guy. Oh, I'm really the overly tender person that doesn't stand for anything. Figure out where you are on that. I had a, um, I had, when I was a kid, I still remember this. When I was a kid, there was a guy who was a youth uh, volunteer in my youth group, and his name was Tim. And Tim was this tall, kind of lanky, awkward looking bald guy. And um, he was our youth guy. And we all loved, Tim. he was awesome. He, he never missed, he was always there. He would play basketball with us and he was terrible, but he would play any sport. He'd get out there and play and he was just so fantastic with us. And I had a, uh, I had a g- girlfriend in high school and um, it might be hard to believe, but I did have a girlfriend at one point. Um, <clears throat> and um, and we were gonna, we were gonna, later we were gonna go over to her, to her parents' house after youth group, okay? And my mom, my mom called her mom, made sure they're all, parents are gonna be there and that kind of stuff. And um, and then I had, I had heard people talking and it sounded like there was a, something going on and her parents weren't gonna be there and it was just gonna be the two of us over at her house. And I remember thinking like, oh, do I need to tell my mom? I can act like I don't know. You know, you go through that. It's like, I'm not technically lying. I'm just not gonna say what I know to be true. And, um, and so I didn't know what to do. And um, then this was odd. My buddies in the youth group started saying things like, hey, you're going over there with your girlfriend and there's not gonna be parents around, which was odd encouragement right after Bible study, may I say. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I guess I thought her parents were gonna be there and I didn't know what to do. And there's about four guys, I won't go into the details, but um, not encouraging me to maintain any sense of purity. And then I noticed Tim was this whoop, big old tall guy and uh, he's standing behind him. I can see his little bald head popping up over him and he hears what they're saying and has a decision to make. He could, uh, you know, be the cool guy that just goes, yeah, Jim, high five, have fun kind of thing. You know, he could play ignorant. He could turn and just sort of walk off. And I remember what Tim did. Those four boys were right there, four or five or something. And he, he kind of pushed a little bit and said, oh, you're going over to her house? I said, yeah, we're going over to her house. And um, he said, have fun. And just remember that God is with you everywhere you go. <laughs> My hands were this the entire time. We went to the door and I was like, good night, and shook her hand like this. And she's like, no, no, no. You know, I mean, that was it. What did he do? Strong enough to say, I don't know how you boys are gonna take this. I don't even know how Jim is gonna take this, but I am willing to step forward and say, God's watching. God's with you wherever you go. And you know what else? 
had a smile on his face as he was saying it. Strong and tender. I think the best example of this is Jesus Christ. If you think about what he did through uh, with, with Pilate when he's being falsely accused, and he, at any time he could have just ended it. And what is he doing? It says uh, in Luke 9, it says he set his face resolutely to Jerusalem, meaning he's going, it is time for the beginning of the end of my life here on earth. He went and gave himself up on our behalf. That is an act of strength. And then he's on the cross and he demonstrates his strength. He has the presence of mind to say, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He has the strength to say that, and then at the same time on the cross, the thief next to him that's accusing him, that's, that's hurling insults at him, and then all of a sudden repents. He just says, remember me when you come to your kingdom, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Or the people that are gambling for any possessions that he might have right in front of him. Remember what he says? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Or perhaps one of the greatest acts of tenderness was bestowed upon Mary. Because she was there, we assume Joseph has passed away, and so Jesus would be taking care of her. She's not only watching her son die, she's watching her life about to end because she has nobody to take care of her. And so what does he say? There's a disciple there, and he says, behold your mother, behold your son. In that last moment, he says, I'm taking care of my mom. Jesus Christ, strong and tender. That's how we are as well. And as we come to the table, let's remember today the strength and the tenderness of God Almighty. Mm -hmm.